There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. About a year ago, I started dating someone who worked as a state park ranger who I'll call Jay. Jay lived on the state park property in a two-bedroom house tucked in the woods. We set the alarm and settled into bed around midnight with Jay's two dogs between us and a third dog crated beside the bed. For some reason, I couldn't fall asleep, so I lay listening to the dog snoring and the deafening silence surrounding us while Jay slept. And then it started. A repetitive bouncing sound of some sort was coming from outside the window, less than a few feet from where I was laying on the bed. 
as if someone was dribbling a basketball on cement. The pace would speed up and slow down. The sound would become louder and softer. This continued for well over two hours. I wholeheartedly wanted to believe what I was hearing were simply sounds of nature, so I ignored it. Next came the creaks in the walls. I know that houses make sounds, but this was unlike anything I had heard before. These sounds started in the hallway as very, very faint creaks. The creaks became louder as they reached Jay's bedroom and would happen on one wall at a time, going counterclockwise around the room until it eventually reached the wall beside me. The creak in the wall beside me was so loud I jumped and the two dogs jolted from their sleep. All the while I'm still hearing a bouncing ball outside the window and am getting more nervous by the minute. And then at 3 a.m. I hear it. I hear the most ungodly, terrifying growl shrieking from the center of the house. It was so loud that Jay flies off the bed, grabs a shotgun hanging on the wall adjacent to the bed, and shouts, Is somebody in the house? And takes off down the hallway towards the sound. The dogs are going berserk, and I'm in tears, absolutely beside myself, pleading with Jay that it was not a person. Jay comes back into the bedroom after not finding an intruder or, or anything of sort and says it must have been one of the dogs. I tell him it was certainly not the dogs as I was awake the entire night and the dogs were asleep in the room with us. Maybe an animal got caught underneath the house. Yeah, maybe I say. Somehow, after I've calmed down a bit, I drift off to sleep. The next thing I know, Jay is on top of me with his hands around my throat with the meanest look on his face, jerking my head back and forth, suffocating me and hurting me. I can't make any sound, and I'm struggling to push Jay away, and that's when I wake up. It was all a vivid dream. Jay is asleep beside me. In the morning, we walk into the den to find a heater turned on full blast. It was the middle of summer. Jay only uses it during winter months, as it is the original furnace and quite tricky to operate. I'm convinced something in that house did not want me there. That growl will forever haunt me. I was on a hunting trip with my four buddies in the wilds of Oklahoma. Our destination was a secluded forest known for its abundance of pheasants, a perfect setting for a day of camaraderie and sport. The air was crisp with the promise of adventure and the thrill of the hunt coursed through our veins as we set foot into the forest. As we ventured deeper into the woods, we decided to split up, each of us hoping to corner some elusive game. I went off on my own, my senses sharpened by the rustling leaves and the distant sounds of nature. The forest was alive around me, a symphony of chirping birds and rustling critters that painted a vibrant backdrop to my pursuit. My steps were cautious as I moved through the undergrowth, my ears attuned to the faintest of sounds. The excitement of the hunt was palpable, a rush of adrenaline that surged with every step. And then, amidst the natural symphony, an unexpected scent reached my nostrils, a putrid, foul odor that wrinkled my nose in disgust. Curiosity got the better of me, and I followed the scent, my senses now on high alert. It led me further into the forest where the sunlight struggled to penetrate the dense canopy above. My heart raced as I pushed forward, my every instinct urging me to turn back, but a burning need to understand drove me onward. 
and then through the shadows I saw it, a figure unlike anything I had ever encountered. It stood upright on its two hind legs, its form tall and unnaturally skinny. Its arms were grotesquely long, extending down to the ground like a hunched-over gorilla, as if it were concealing its true height. Its spine was twisted and crooked, and its deformed face stared directly into my eyes. The sight was both horrifying and mesmerizing. Its skin was a moonlight gray, its eyes gleaming with an otherworldly sheen. A makeshift mane of neck hair framed its head, and its presence exuded an air of malevolence that sent a shiver down my spine. Instinctively, I raised my rifle and aimed at the creature. The gunshot shattered the eerie silence, and I watched as the bullet streaked toward it. But to my bewilderment, the bullet passed right through the figure as if it were nothing more than a specter haunting the woods. It didn't react, didn't flinch. It simply remained there, an enigma that defied explanation. And then, as abruptly as it had appeared, the creature vanished into the depths of the forest, leaving me standing there in a state of shock and disbelief. My mind raced to make sense of what I had just witnessed. Was it a trick of the light, a mirage born of the wood's shadowy depths? When my friends returned later, their faces flushed with the excitement of their own pursuits. I couldn't contain the urgency to share my encounter. I regaled them with the story of the strange creature, the foul odor, and the unsettling gaze that had locked onto mine. But instead of taking me seriously, my buddies burst into laughter. Come on, man, you must be high or something, one of them teased, wiping away tears of mirth. I tried to maintain my composure, frustration, and bewilderment gnawing at me. No, I'm serious, I insisted, my voice tinged with a mix of disbelief and determination. I saw it. I know I did. They exchanged skeptical glances, still chuckling at my expense. All right, all right, another friend chimed in, patting me on the back. Maybe lay off the ghost stories next time, huh? I knew what I'd seen. I felt it in the very core of my being, the piercing gaze, the otherworldly presence. But in the face of their mockery, I found myself questioning my own perception. As we packed up our gear and began the journey back, I couldn't shake the feeling that I had stumbled upon something beyond explanation, a mystery that defied the boundaries of the known world. And so, with a mixture of awe and uncertainty, I left that secluded forest behind, haunted by the memory of the enigmatic figure and the unsettling encounter that would forever remain etched in my mind. I grew up in a semi-rural area, but the backside of our property was a large seven acres, triangle of woods with no one living back that way. One night my sister and I had went outside to bring our rabbits some leftover salad, scraps, and the hutch was probably ten feet from the house. The entire time we're out there I hear very clear, heavy, constant breathing, like something very large was just sitting inside our fence. Where we were was lit enough to see that there was nothing there, but the breathing was constant, and I didn't hear any more once we went back inside. I didn't tell my sister, but she didn't say she heard anything either. I drive from Denver to Sioux Falls, South Dakota back in my college days, 
One night, somewhere just north of Valentine, Nebraska, I seen this craft-type triangle thing 30 feet on each side with lights on each tip. I slowed down to 20 on the highway and stared at it. It was 50-ish feet from the road, but up in the air 200 feet. It made almost no noise except for a low hum. Then it took off. Strangest thing I've ever seen and can't explain. A couple of friends and I were camping around Camp Verde, Arizona, years ago. Clear Creek, I think. Of course, we decided to eat a bunch of shrooms the first night. Because why not? The stars were amazing. So we are all stumbling around about midnight or so along the edge of the creek, having a great time, not very far from our site, and I ran back to grab my camera. For some reason, I decided to shine my light across the creek, and sitting right there was a big-ass cougar, reflective cat eyes and all. I didn't think much of it, knew it probably wasn't going to bother us, and continued on to grab my camera. I get back, and all I hear is screaming, like little girls screaming, and here comes my friend running and tripping every few feet, screaming his ass off, and just start packing all his shit. Took about ten minutes for him to even be calm enough to tell me what the F happened. He saw the big cat across the creek. I proceed to laugh for the next twenty minutes or so. I was crying, peeking on those magical things about then. My pop, mom's dad, owned a 900 or so hectare property in some mountains near to my hometown. Really cool place filled with creeks, streams, and a lot of 4 by 4 tracks. He recently sold it, but we used to go up there pretty frequently and stayed in a hut. Anyway, one day while staying there, we took a trip to just outside of his property to the remains of this old house. It was completely abandoned. Parts of the floor had caved in, and I think bits of the roof were missing. What was weird, though, was that their cupboards were still full of food. There was a bottle of wine on the table and some beans, I think, on a bench. He explained that the father of the family was crushed by a tree in some sort of logging accident, and they moved out about 40 years ago. It was just so weird that they left all their food there, too. Similar to the fire watcher seeing the light, I once saw something similar while camping. There was this light that just hovered in the air for hours, sometimes moving up or down or side to side, but never really going anywhere until it disappeared. I googled it frantically when I got home, and apparently flares from planes can hover like that in the wind. I don't understand how, and it was extremely creepy. Bonus weird thing. Another place very close to the outside of my pop's property was an abandoned school that had been ran by a commune of hippies that lived nearby. Huh, schools aren't weird. I hear you say, well, they are when they're built at the end of an open field with no roads anywhere nearby, not even dirt, just a random school with a steel fence around it. Had about two or three classrooms, I think, from memory. One day I want to go back there, but it is private property, and I doubt I'd find it again with how huge the area is. Me and my wife live in a mid-sized city in a fairly populated area in Pennsylvania just off a very busy main road. 
This happened around June or July of 2022. We mostly live around older people and college students, and rent is very cheap as it's not the nicest neighborhood. My wife's job is a five-minute walk from our apartment, and she was getting home very late that night, around 1.30 a.m. She came in looking scared to death and eventually told me she saw the following. She said there was a small humanoid running out from between ours and our neighbor's house. It was dressed like and had the proportions of an approximately four-year-old child and wore a stripped shirt and pants. She said he stopped, appeared to be a boy, and looked in her direction briefly before running off between another house. The child appeared to have a potato sack or burlap sack over his head. It was possibly drawn on. She is a major vibes person, but she has never said anything like this before, though she has excellent instincts. She didn't get a sense. It was evil, but she was terrified after. If I bring up the child, she gets freaked out and won't talk about it. No small children live on our street, and there are regular gunshots screaming angry homeless guys that we are very accustomed to after three years living here. In short, it's not a place an approximately four-year-old child would be out alone at 1.30 a.m. She also did not tell me what happened right away. She appeared scared, but talked about work on related things before telling me that. I think she thought I would judge her. Tell her she was lying. It never happened again, and I have never seen or felt anything. If anyone has any theories, I'd love to know. It freaks me out to think about, especially because that house he ran from is owned by a bachelor and has an enclosed, gated backyard. My mom grew up in a rural part of Ireland, and it would have been pitch black there at night when she was a child, the nearby town that I currently live. It has expanded hugely, so there's a lot of light pollution in the area now. Apparently on two occasions, her and her sisters heard someone tapping on the windows at night. She said it sounded like human fingers, not a bird or an animal, which they were all familiar with. After both incidents, they discovered the next day that a relative of theirs had died in the night. I was out on a walk with my friend who was walking her dogs. For context, we have an abandoned railways track by our small village, and it's a prime walking path for people. So as we're walking, we start to go off path, and through a field, I turn around and see this old couple with their dog a little ways behind us. I thought it was weird since I didn't see or hear them behind us, but whatever. We go to return to the path, and as I turn again, they've disappeared. There was no way they could have dipped back into the forest without going through thick brush, and the field on the other side of us was completely flat, so they couldn't have hidden in the grass. I then said to my friend about what I just saw, and she kept insisting that no one was behind us at all. She was laughing at me, though, so I do think she's just messing with me, but she's also very persistent that no one was there. The second is that I was on a bike ride with a couple of other friends a few years ago down the same track. They wanted to show me this old tunnel that had been blocked off, and we wanted to try and get in. We never did, law. It was a good 45-minute bike ride to get there, and it was high summer, so it was really hot out. The spot where the tunnel is was down quite a large, steep rise, and I was last down. 
I kid you not, I stepped over a log and the temperature plummeted to the point I had to roll my sleeves down. The other two again didn't really take notice of it, but I couldn't help thinking that the cold and absolute dead silence was wrong. The whole thing just didn't sit right with me. I still can't explain it, but maybe it is just some random nature thing and I'm overthinking it. This was about three months ago, so I was sitting on my couch and my dad called me over to go check the fridge for my dog's food. She eats a raw diet. It's dark and cold out so the garage is closed and the heater is on. I turn the light on and it starts to flicker. My first initial thought was new light bulb needed. I grab the food and I turn the light off, but it keeps flickering. I don't know why the lights were off and it just kept flickering. Then the heater shut off. I never told my dad. He went out there and asked why I left the lights and the heater on. I was freaking out. He just asked me why the heater was off and turned it back on. Everything has been normal since. To this day, I'm still uncomfortable when I go out there. I don't know why. In May of 95, myself and two friends were invited to go camping on Mount Hood, just below Timberline Lodge. We had some friends who worked in the ski resort, and they camped out in the woods right there at the resort. We had gotten there Friday afternoon. Saturday evening, sitting around the campfire, a strange sound came from the woods directly below us. My friend Ben, knowing we were avid outdoorsmen, asked if we knew what kind of animal was making the noise. We listened for a few minutes. The sound we heard was unlike anything I have ever heard before. It was kind of like a human scream roar. It was definitely not a human. The volume was too loud. Ben said that they had heard it a few times before. They assumed it was a coyote. We laughed, saying that it wasn't a coyote. It wasn't a deer, elk, bear, coyote, fox, raccoon, human, owl, nothing. This was all new to us. We listened for about 25 minutes as it circled our camp, and then the sound stopped. All the time, we could hear something large walking through the brush. Well, we did kind of discuss it being Bigfoot, but jokingly, three days after getting home from camping, we were all three watching a program on Discovery Channel about Bigfoot, a guy, a Bigfoot researcher maybe, had audio of Bigfoot just after seeing it. When he pushed play, wow. We were blown away. It was the exact same sound we had heard on Mount Hood. Not many people believe us, but oh well. No drugs or alcohol was involved that night either. And that's my story. My story took place around 1993-94. I was 18 years old and living in a small town in southern Utah. Living in a small town. We need small town. Things to entertain ourselves. One of the few but popular options among the high school population was to drag Main. It consisted of driving from the end of Main Street to the other end trying to link up with friends or meet new ones, preferably in a car full of cute boys. Main Street was barely a half mile. I believe there are only two stoplights. My red Subaru hatchback was loaded full of my friends. 
more girls than seat belts. We had taken several drags down Main and struck out, so we decided to detour off the beaten path. There's a good chance we had Salt and Pepper or George Michael album blaring from the factory speaker and peach snaps concealed in our soda cups, which could have easily been our deterrent, but we were determined to make a connection. So we left Main Street behind. We had two options. First drive through the town cemetery to a story of the devoted cat that comes and sits on her owner's grave every night since she died, a story everyone in town has heard a million times now. It's become a rite of passage. You drive slowly through the graveyard, and if you turn your lights on, this particular headstone just right looks like the silhouette of a cat. Newcomers gasp. The rest of us pretend to. Like I said, small, town entertainment. Or there is a second option, cruise the college streets, the heartbeat of this little town, in hopes of meeting someone new who hasn't got the memo to drag Maine. We opted for the latter and struck out there too. So we're finishing up our detour and heading back towards Maine for one last drag down Maine, before calling it a night. We were about four blocks away when we approached a stoplight laughing about whether we had time to do a Chinese fire drill or not. If you don't know what that is, everyone gets out of the car at a red light and runs around the car and tries to make it back to their seat before the light turns green. Like I said, small town fun. Suddenly I look up from our shenanigans and there in front of me were six men crossing the lane directly in front of us. All six men, however, were walking in single file, which seemed rather odd and unnerving for that hour of the night, all in step with a straight back facing forward, same height, all crossing from the right corner of where a mortuary stood. The fact that didn't stand out at the time and really didn't even cross my mind until years later, when sharing the location of this incident, all crossing from the right, mortuary, to left where a school bus garage and Baptist church stood, on opposite corners. We were frozen trying to make sense of what we were seeing. It looked out of place for this time of night, or for any time, really. Something was weird. Our frozen observance was quickly broken by a friend, ordering me to follow them. When the light turned green, I made a quick left turn to follow them between the garage and the church. We rolled down our windows, laughing at the oddity and searching for an understanding of this bizarre scene through our laughter. You could hear several of us questioning, What are you guys doing? Without saying a word, they continued marching in sync and staring straight ahead. We were met with only a profile of six faces, which only piqued our curiosity further. So we inquired again and again. We're non-relenting. Then suddenly a response, but it wasn't the response we expected. It jarred us and froze us for a brief moment. As if in a choreographed move, they all quickly snapped their heads toward us. All six pairs of identical eyes on identical faces, frames, and identical hairstyles coldly stared. It was like staring into a mirror that is facing another and seeing exact replicas of oneself repeating indefinitely, but here it wasn't my face, but another, and yet they shouted in unison, Go away! Suddenly another shout woke me from my shock and disbelief, this time from my back seat. Drive now! On a side road, I was half a block away from the... What was that? Another voice. We have to go back. Turn around. Let's follow them. Remember? Small. Town fun.
Why the hell not? We have nothing better to do. We're now only a small town block away. We flip around and head back. We were met with a void of where they once stood. They were completely gone. It's a dark street. Nowhere for them to go. Street lights, business lights, house lights, nothing. If they went into a building, a light would be on. No buildings to go to in that amount of time. Just gone. We tried to make sense of it and drove along the cross street that separated the block. We had just driven down and nothing. Defeated and confused, our laughter turned into shock and silence as we headed back to the corner. We took the detour that lured us off track. We sat on the dark side street in silence waiting for the red glow above the bath. The only sound was through my blinker, a steady sound signaling the left-hand turn, when suddenly we felt that it was tangible. The thought gives me goosebumps still to this day. Above us, it crept. Our heads snapped up collectively to see what above us could possibly be, and it was massive darkness, undeniable darkness, slowly engulfing us in its depth and its mysterious shadow. The blackness weighed heavily upon our innocence. Suddenly green reflected from our terrified eyes, and we were released from the clutches of the darkness. Before I had completed that left-hand turn to pick up where we had originally left off, we were all in tears, full-blown sobbing tears. We were shaken. No explanation, no answers, but real undeniable yet unexplainable fear. Fear that hit each of us the same made our skin crawl and our core shake and our eyes tear up and made us sink into areas of our soul we never knew existed, seeking solace and an escape from the unknown. We were sitting in the cabin at the mine late at night, two friends and I, when we heard extremely loud howling and shrieking from across the canyon. It was extremely loud and sounded exactly like the Klamath audio recording. See Google for details. The sound was loud enough to scare my dog, which was extremely unusual because he usually barked at just about any sounds coming from outside of the cabin at night. This shrieking lasted about two hours. All of the time we were just listening in silence. While we were listening, we could also hear something moving through what sounded like bull thistles and brush. But it was far off, which got me to believe it was coming from across the canyon, about 200 yards away. My friend Carl decided to try to shoot some 12-gauge rounds in the air to see if it would go away. But after each round, he fired three. It would go quiet for about a minute, and then the howling would continue. The next day, one of my friends went over there to do some work and noticed that some of the hillside was disturbed by a large animal but there were no identifiable tracks, except that they were very large. This was the only time that I personally have experienced this. But my uncle, who also works up there from time to time, experienced this on numerous occasions. Ori had a couple of episodes in 1996. He was mushroom-picking with Chris, a science teacher, and was walking along the Abakwa Ridge, the sky blue, in about noon. He was tapping trees periodically, two or three taps as he went. Then he noticed 150 yards off another mushroom hunter, which, as it came closer, turned into a tall, lean, six, half or seven-foot Bigfoot coming his way. It kept coming until 75, 100 feet away. 
It was a deep, dark red from head to toe, walking in a crouched position and swinging its arms in an exaggerated fashion. He yelled at it, and it turned and went back over the ridge. The teacher didn't see it. Any questions, etc., or he would prefer you send through me, as he doesn't want to be bothered. Also, some of his areas of study he just wants me to refer to as Abaqua or Molala area, as he's still actively investigating them. I don't know if this was an alien sighting or if it even counts as one, but it's something I experienced several years ago and just shrugged it off, not thinking that I could be involved in something like this. It happened during the summer 6-19-1998 at 16 in Tucson, Arizona, and my cousins and I were bored, and so we decided to go see a movie. But before we left, I had to finish up a load of laundry. Now our house is the middle house in a cul-de-sac, so when we open our garage door, it faces the cul- Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Oh, this sack in the street that leads into it. Our washing machine and dryer are in there, so when we do the wash, we can see the outside world. After putting the clothes in the washer, I opened the door to the house to go back inside. The door, that when open, automatically shuts close, real fast. Well, I opened the door, and all of a sudden, my entire garage is flooded with a bright neon lime, green light. I turn around and see that the entire neighborhood is flooded in this light. Everywhere I looked, everything was covered in this light, as if someone was holding a light right over our cul-de-sac. I didn't see any object, but after about ten seconds of being in the light, this huge shadow came out of nowhere and then flew off to the western sky. And then there was this weird wind, like a suction, and the trees blew along with other debris to the west and then stopped. The light flew off, too, and everything turned back to normal. I turned around and started to walk back into the house. Now, all this time, the door has been opened, and if you recall, I told you that it was one of those sprung doors that shut as quickly as it opened. Well, right then and there, the door shut right over my left foot, ripping up the nail on my big toe. The doctor said the nail would never grow back because the nerves had been lifted out, but it did, and to this day, my toe has a nail, something my doctor said was a miracle. I don't know what it was that happened that day, but I always thought that it had something to do with an alien. So I was wondering if you can shed some sort of information on this and tell me if you have another experience such as this recorded. Just before 6 a.m. on a general health care of the elderly ward, two staff nurses, one auxiliary and me, a student, Four bays, but one was closed and just had the usual ward junk stored in it. 
Hobbs machines, drip stands, transfer equipment, spare bed tables, etc. Two nurses are in the bay setting up the morning hives, and I'm in the other bay doing 6 a.m. BMs. Auxiliary goes off to get an Hobbs machine. He comes into the bay with the weirdest look on his face. When I'm done with a blood glucose check I'm in the middle of, he says in an undertone, Come and look at this. He leads me into the empty bay. There are wet footprints on the floor, starting halfway across the room. Now I know what you're thinking. He did it himself, or it was a wandering patient. That's what I'm tempted to think, too. Except the footprints went under a table and stopped at the window. No return footprints, no little jiggle like someone had put on shoes while standing on one foot, just straight up to the window. And they were small, and the auxiliary was a big bloke. Now there's a chance it was one of the patients from a side room who snuck by us, went into the closed bay with a sign saying no entry, somehow wet their feet, walked to the window and put their shoes back on, and then carefully moved the table over it. But it honestly seems rather far-fetched. Almost all of the patients on that ward had limited mobility, and about half wouldn't have had the capacity to do such a complicated chain of events either. Definitely gave us all the shudders, and we were happy when the early shift came in. I was working night shifts as a security guard from 11 p.m. to 6 a.m. in a two-story office building that had probably 50, 80 workers, all in cubicles, during the day. It was only myself there during the night. I was stationed at the front door where their switchboard desk is and I do a patrol of the entire building every two, three hours. I always heard weird thuds and people walking. I even checked to see if I was right. Usually I'd hear something around 3.15 a.m. I ended up getting used to it since nothing was ever there. The weirdest thing that happened was on my third patrol roughly around 3.30 a.m., as I walked on the second story, I noticed some of the ceiling tiles were gone, and two of the roof hatches were completely opened. I didn't notice any of this on my earlier patrols. When I told morning staff, they had no idea why. Later, I talked to the other guard who used to work there for years, older gentleman and religious. He's also noticed many weird things, but he didn't want to talk about it. Other things have happened, such as computer screens coming on. Coffee machines turning on randomly. Radios randomly turning on. A couple times I'd sworn things were moved because it looked different from earlier patrols. It was an easy gig, but I'm sure the place was haunted by something. Edit to clarify about the roof entrances more. The building did have side ladders that are locked. Maybe if someone was crazy enough to scale them, he could get access. The roof entrances were only in the housekeeping rooms and could only be opened from the inside. The door was a double-sided badge to unlock. Each door had a camera on it also, and I checked said cameras without seeing anything. I was working for a directional drilling firm that was putting three different shore approach pipelines for a fiber optic cable that looped Bandon, a site in California, and further looped to Japan. I was checking a water pump that was pumping from a stream about one quarter mile north of where we were working. The pump was running okay and was very loud. I walked over to a dried up stream bed to take a look. 
The bank dropped straight down about 25 feet. As I approached something ran to the east, very fast. I've heard horses, antelope, deer, and other four-legged creatures run. This thing was running on two legs. I did not see anything but a flash of brown as it was rounding a curve in the dried stream bed. I know that many animals run with both their legs in front and back hitting the ground at the same time. This animal's rhythm was like someone running on two feet. The weather was fairly warm and the sun was shining. A few days later, I saw some scuff marks on the trail that I used to go to the pump. The scuff marks were on rocks. The trail got to a muddy spot where I found a footprint that would just about match my size nine foot. The footprint was not any wider. It could very well have been a human print and looked human. This was a cool to cold day, and no one would have taken their shoes off right in that spot. I hadn't told anyone in my crew about the previous incident, so I'm fairly sure that the footprint was not a joke. My father has a quarry with an open mine of about 120 meter in diameter and 20 meters deep. It is a place far from the city, about 8 kilometers, in the middle of the woods, and with some family farms nearby. Well, I loved the place and decided to go there to think about what to do. I was afraid to restart the treatment. Afraid that maybe the cancer had come back with a vengeance. There is the place where the crushing plant used to be, exactly where the trucks unloaded to the grinder. To take advantage of the force of gravity, it is located on the slope of a ravine about 30-40 meters high, with an incredible view of the horizon. I parked my truck there and lay on top of it and watched the shooting stars. I don't know exactly how many hours later, but it should have been something like midnight. I hear footsteps slowly coming towards me. I was armed with a pistol, but I left it inside and I was in the back of the truck. All I had was a piece of wood lying there. At that time, I was scared of being a criminal, as we had problems with thieves stealing machine parts and parts. But the sim came right from the side of the cliff, and it's impossible for anyone to walk up. I even went back to check it later. My second thought was that it was a jaguar. And because I had been lying down for a long time, whether I was a jaguar or a criminal, he might have thought that I had fallen asleep. As the steps got closer, I deduced that he was already on my side. I looked without moving my head, and I didn't see anything that was the height of a person. So I jumped with a piece of wood and screamed because it had to be an animal. Then I saw something I've never seen anything like it before, and I get goosebumps just writing about it. A human figure, completely dark brown. It had no eyes, no mouth, no ears. It looked like thick smoke. It walked very clumsily as if twisting. When I jumped, he still hadn't finished climbing. I froze, he finished the climb. It passed by my side, about a meter. I was on top of the pickup, and I deduced that it was meter or less from my height of 1.90 meters. When I jumped up and screamed, he did absolutely nothing. Passed by me and followed the opposite path I took to get there, left the road, and entered the forest. In that, I took the gun inside the car. He walked for a while and came out again in the clear and started coming towards me. The night was very clear, with an almost full moon. When he got to a safe distance as he came towards me, I started shooting. 
I shot ten times. I remembered that I still had twelve rounds because when I arrived, I fired a few shots. I landed all the shots as I approached. It didn't do anything. It didn't seem to hit anything. At that distance, I never missed. But he stopped, went back to the bush. The rest of the night, he walked in a semicircle about fifty meters from me, into the woods, out on the clear, and into the woods on the other side. When dawn began, he entered the forest, and I could hear the footsteps in the distance. This place I grew up there, I know every inch of it. I'm thirty, two years old. My childhood and youth was spent walking around, going into the forest. You've never seen anything like it. When I asked my father, he just said that it wasn't good to go there alone at night because there's something strange. He came the other day early because they were looking for me because I had left without warning and left my cell phone at home, and he figured I would be there. I was hunting bear with my hounds and tried a new area that was a swampy area that surrounded a kettle lake. There is low land on the west side and a high ridge on the east and south, and sort of a flat, recently logged forest to the north. It's a pretty neat spot, and nothing really leaves the area, so it's a nice place to hunt. I cut a track and turn four dogs out. They run in and find the bear, and the race is on. Bear trees almost immediately, so I'm thinking the dogs did great, and I'll come back to hunt. I come back again and turn out my four hounds. They again jump a bear and the race is on. The chase goes some distance and suddenly it sounds like I have a pack of twenty dogs. I hear what sounds like faint yips and barks like crazy. I'm in the low end of the swamp, so sounds are muffled, and I'm thinking I am getting an echo from the ridge or stirred up some coyotes. It actually sounds really cool, but also quieter than the individual barks from my dogs. The dogs circle around again, tree a bear, and we take some picks and release, and all go home happy. I hunt here a couple more times and always hear the same echo. So assume it's the lay of the land making the barking bounce around. I run there again and take a friend with me. I tell him about the echo on the ridge and that he should get to the top of that ridge and he will really hear the noise coming from the dogs. And it will sound like twenty dogs joined the chase. He goes and sits on the ridge. I turn out dogs again and within ten fifteen minutes the chase is on. I can't hear much because it's a little windy, but figure my buddy is getting all of it. After a few minutes my buddy calls me on the radio. Hey, are you hearing that? I tell him I can kind of make out the dogs, but can't hear the echo today. He radios me back. This is really freaky. On this day, it turns out the bear ran out of that area, and we caught up dogs and met up on the road. I asked my buddy about the echo, and he says he could hear what he thought I was hearing plain as day. He tells me what I heard wasn't any kind of an echo from the dogs, coyotes, or wolves. It sounded exactly like a bunch of people being killed. A little research showed that at one point in history there was an Indian camp on the north side of that lake, unknown what may have taken place there. I was bow hunting deer in a wilderness area that borders private land. The FS had recently came through and cleared the fence line on the public side, so I was using that as an easy way to get to where I was going. 
and I could glass into all the canyons along the way. I had made it to the last canyon and didn't see anything I was interested in, so I turned back around with the intent to glass a few of the canyons again on the way back out. I didn't make it too far when I saw all the deer stand up on a hillside, and a little while later I heard a guy yelling up in the next canyon. At the time, I figured someone had come in behind me and was trying to get their friend's attention. I stayed low along the fence line and made it to the canyon where the guy was. He was still yelling. But I could understand him now. Help! Help! Come here! Hey, help! Get over here! None of his yelling sounded desperate, though. He sounded mad. I doubted that he could have seen me since I was below him and using the tree line as cover from any deer. His yells for help then turned into profanity. I walked out to an open spot where I could see better with my binoculars and started glassing the side of the ridge, but I couldn't see him. The yelling stopped and he fired two shots. I backed into the trees again but stayed in the banyos. He finally came over the top of ridge where I could see him. He was wearing a matching outfit of military camo and a fully loaded matching backpack with a shovel strap to it. He was still yelling when his dog, which looked like a Malamute or big husky, ran up to him. He then yelled at his dog, telling the dog things no one should tell a dog they like. I now had no intent to interact with this person, but I'd have to cross through an open area about 100 yards long to keep going to my truck. He was a couple hundred feet up in elevation from me, but only 250 yards away now. I could see him as I was moving through the opening. He saw me and started yelling again. I was moving in high gear now and could see him coming down the hillside toward me. Just past the end of the clearing was a steep section where a rock ridge came down almost all the way to the fence line, but you had to basically scramble up to the top. When I got to the top, I looked behind me and the guy was in the clearing with Dog coming towards me. He was yelling directly at me now. Don't you dare cross that fence, you son of... etc. I went over the top and dropped into the next gully. Once I was in the bottom, I press-checked my pistol. I always have it loaded. But I wanted to be ready based on the guy's actions and demeanor. I tried to move as fast as possibly by only stepping on rocks or areas void of snow. So I didn't leave footprints. I did that for a couple hundred yards as I kept cutting up towards the mountain where it was thicker. I kept checking behind me but never saw him again. I made it back to the trailhead and was happy to see that a truck of a guy I'd had met the day before was still at the trailhead. Once they came back, I talked to him and his brother about what had happened. They were previously warned by another local about a guy that harasses people out there. I was planning to camp there that night, but they invited me back to their camp. They were very nice people who I am still in contact with. I called the local CO later on. He apologized for me having to go through the incident and said the guy's a known issue nut job. He pops up every other year or so and has learned to walk the line of legal. Bill Eagle, the guy lives off-grid in that area and is notorious for running people out of the area. If they have to go to his place, they will not go in until all the area agencies are available to roll in together. I reside in this general area. About one year ago, I was driving through the town of Barrington Hills, northwest of Chicago. As I drove east around maybe 6-630, it was dawn and light began to emerge from the east as sunrise. 
I proceeded east on 62 Palatine Road and saw some gigantic flying in the sky, almost staying and keeping up with the night that was departing. The creature definitely changed directions and appeared to be like a plane. I knew it wasn't because of how slow it seemed to go at times. I tried to get a picture with my cell, but it was fruitless. Too far. But 100%. Here is a creature aloft here, or some party that has some 2020. Three flying suit platform that is huge. It was big enough for me to see, and it was five plus miles away, chasing the horizon west. I sleep sitting partially up, and I can see the door to the bedroom clearly. I awoke to a bright light under the door, originating the hall beyond. The door opened, and in walked several. I am not sure of the exact number. Squat figures. They were silhouetted by a bright light in the hall. They were dark blue-gray with large, blocky heads, and virtually no neck. Their faces were heavily furrowed. They stood three to four feet tall and wore something that looked like monk robes that were very dark gray. When they entered the room, I became paralyzed. They stood around the bed, even on the other side, where my wife was asleep. I tried to call out to her, but I couldn't make a sound due to my paralysis. I sleep with a CPAP machine, mask, and air hose for sleep apnea. One of the figures removed the mask from my face. Another pulled the covers back off of me. They raised their arms and I floated up out of the bed, lying flat now. I floated above their heads toward the door. As I began to float out the doorway, I lost consciousness. The next thing I remember is floating above their heads back into the room toward the bed. I was angry, very angry, and with great effort, I began to thrash about a little. For some reason, they had difficulty controlling me through my anger. One of the figures on the far side of the bed next to my wife knocked something over on the dresser, but immediately righted it and put it back where it belonged. They regained control of me. They successfully floated me back into bed and pulled the covers back over me. They then retreated from the room. After they closed the door, the light went out and all was quiet. I regained my senses and found myself lying in bed without my CPAP mask on. I looked at the clock, and it was 5.53 a.m. I got up out of bed, feeling both frightened and angry at the same time. I got up out of bed and started my day. In the morning, my wife said that she had been up three times to go to the bathroom during the night, which is unusual for her. She usually only gets up once and rarely remembers much about it. I searched the Internet and was not able to find any pictures or drawings that resemble the figures. Then I bought a reference book and found an almost identical drawing. I was deer hunting behind my great-grandmother's house. She was 103 at the time. I always got in my deer stand very early and would fall asleep with my cell phone in my hand, with the alarm set on vibrate for sunrise. Anyway, I was suddenly awoken and checked the time. Two minutes before alarm would go off, then I looked into the field, which decades ago was my great-grandmother's vegetable garden, and at the far left corner saw a figure that looked to me like a little lady standing there with a garden hoe in her hand. It wasn't scary at all, very calming, actually, even when it suddenly disappeared.
I proceeded with the hunt, and when I met my uncle in the woods to walk out, he asked me if I had seen anything, and I jokingly answered, Yeah, I saw a ghost, and he looks to me sideways. But then we both laughed and started walking. As soon as we get out of the woods, we notice that there are more people at Great J. Mav's house, and as it turns out, she had passed away at 6.12 that morning. My uncle and I have been so close this that day because he swears that I have a sixth sense. When I was in sixth grade, our class went on an outdoor education trip to a camp in the woods. I think the teachers and counselors really enjoyed scaring us kids while we were there. The pinnacle of our fright-filled experience was on a cold fall night when we all gathered around a giant bonfire. Our teacher had been telling campfire stories all night. Some were funny, some were scary, and some were just plain boring. We were starting to get worn out from all the stories when our teacher began to tell us about a mountain man who once roamed these very woods. According to the tale, this mountain man would walk through the forest at night, hunting game for various reasons. Rumor had it that you could still hear him walking through the woods to this day. All you had to do was listen closely to the sounds of the forest. Just as our teacher finished setting the scene, we suddenly saw a bright flash followed by an earth shattering bang of a musket. Out of nowhere, this huge, wild-looking mountain man came barreling into our campsite, yelling and hollering at the top of his lungs. We all screamed in terror as he stormed through our midst, and then, just as suddenly as he appeared, he vanished into the darkness of the night. As if that experience wasn't terrifying enough, our teacher then decided to tell us one last story with almost no effort or care. He told us about a woman who had lost her child. He was about our age in these very woods hundreds of years ago. It just so happened that tonight was the anniversary of the child's disappearance, and it had been reported that sometimes the ghostly figure of the woman could be seen peering into the cabins during our stay. My heart sank as I realized that my bed was positioned right next to a window in our cabin. As I lay there that night, I couldn't shake the fear that at any moment I might see the ghostly woman searching for her lost child. Every creak, every rustle of leaves, every shadow seemed to suggest her presence just outside my window. Needless to say, I didn't sleep much that night or for the rest of our stay at the camp. While I knew deep down that the stories were probably just meant to scare us, I couldn't help but feel a lingering sense of unease, wondering if maybe, just maybe, there was a kernel of truth to the tales we had heard around that campfire. I know this event happened a long time ago, but it has always bothered me. I'm sure somebody has wondered what happened to this gentleman. I want to tell a little tiny part of this story in an effort to help solve a possible missing person situation. In case this man had never shown up anywhere again, just maybe somebody will recognize the very general information I do know about and that it might help solve a serious event. I am very unclear about the date and am even not sure of the year. Later, mid-1990s. I am sorry I did not report this somewhere previously. It was unclear where I should go or who to report such a situation to. It was around 3 p.m. on a Friday, I believe. 
I was down at the town's motor vehicle department, waiting to have an inspection done on a vehicle, and then get the tags and title to the auto. I happened to park beside a gentleman of about 45 years old. He was tall, white, pale, had no facial hair, and may have had a receding hairline and light hair. We were both waiting for a long time, because it was so busy that day. The man slowly started to approach me, and he appeared very nervous and was sweating for more than the weather made a reason for. He made it a point to explain a little about his behavior. He told me that he knew it sounded far-fetched, but that he has been running from town to town trying to stay hidden from the government's secret military. I have never in my life been in a conversation with anyone about any similar subject. It made it even more uncomfortable for him to say what he was attempting to say. He said that he felt he finally had lost them, and that he was there to get the vehicle tagged to fit in the state of Arizona in his new fictitious name. He was planning to try to stay here for a while now and make Casa Grande his home for a few months. But he just had to put this new used car in order, saying that he had been with many vehicles trying to conceal his path if they were following and getting close. He was very nervous telling me this, and I was rather shocked and mostly just listened. I asked him why he was telling me, though. He said he was on a mission to break out the truth to the world about UFOs and the fact that they were real, and he could prove it. He said that his mission was to tell as many as possible, and to prove it through all he could using, showing people the evidence he had stolen from Area 51. He asked if I knew of this place, and at that time I had not, so he explained that this is where the government and military try to hide the truth about aliens, and the fact is they are real and that he wanted me to see his evidence. He stated he stole at least reels of videotape feed, all showing information and documentation of actual aliens. He asked if I would like to see them. I was quite stunned at what this well-kept middle-aged man was saying. I told him I would like to see, but I'm afraid to be alone with him under the potential threat of getting caught by some secret society on his heels, and asked if I could bring somebody with me. He had no problem with that and said it would be even better because he would be getting the word out to the two of us. So very strange. I raced to a phone to call my boyfriend and tell him all this stuff, and he insisted on coming with me, which was a great relief to me, though his boss did not like him, just leaving work with very little being said. The man instructed me that he was at this one motel I knew of, and that he was in the first room on the south end, and I knew perfectly where this was. We pull into the motel, and the man's car was not pulled up all the way into the parking spot, and the rear passenger door was still open. His motel room door had been kicked in, and it was down. I could see the manager of the motel going in the opposite direction from us, and he would not respond to my calling to him. We were out looking around, stunned at all that had taken place, when we see in the middle of the parking area sat a white new van. The doors were slamming shut, and the driver was in a hurry to leave. The noise coming from the van, like kicking the panels inside, could be heard. The van kicked up rocks, speeding away from us. My boyfriend told me to get into our truck, and we quickly left. We hardly spoke a word about it. But like I said at the beginning, this has always bothered me. What happened to him? Is anyone looking for him? Did he survive this ordeal?